Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask that you give us a great time as we worship you and look at your word and that your spirit will help us to see what you'd have us to see. And Lord, as we study this beautiful psalm, that you'll give us understanding in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 66, starting at verse 1. To the chief musician, a song or psalm, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name, make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible are your works, uh, though your greatness and your power shall thine, your enemies submit themselves unto you. All the earth shall worship you and shall sing unto you. They shall sing to your name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doings toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. He went through the flood. We went through the flood on foot. Yet did we rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Blessed, oh, bless our God, ye, ye people, and make the voice of his praise be heard, which holds our soul in life and suffers not our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have improved us and have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You you. You lay affliction upon our loins. You have, you have caused men to ride over our heads. We, want for, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out into a wealthy place. I go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto you burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath has heard me he has attended to my voice blessed be god which has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me so verse one make a joyful noise unto god all you lands and i love this word for joyful this word joyful means a war cry an alarm a, a, a shout of jubilation so this word joyful is all about making a loud excited noise and the thing it gives me sometimes is we go to some churches and if somebody cracks a smile or gets loud, everybody kind of looks at them like, what's wrong with you? And God all through the scripture says, be joyful, be, be loud. And this idea of this joyful cry is the cry of a battle cry. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Yeah. And he's saying, sing forth the the honor of his name, the splendor, the glory of his name. We should be singing forth God's praises whenever we can. I, I've shared so many times with people, you know, I used to love working in the restaurants, you know, and, and going up to people and just saying, you know what God did yesterday? You know what God's done this week? You know what God showed me? They look at me as if I was a total nut, but God would be lifted up. And we need to do that with our people that we're around. Lift up God's glory his splendor we're, we're to do that we're to sing forth his praise we're to tell people what god is doing for us what is he doing and hopefully you're having a place where you see god doing things in your life all the time yeah if you're not seeing god work you need to look at your life and say why aren't you seeing god work blackaby in, in experiencing god said 
Look around for what God is doing and join him where he's at working. Now, too many times we kind of go, God, this is what I want to do. Get over here and help me. Rather than going, God, what are you doing? And, and you know, let me get over there. Uh, and this is important for us to understand. We're to be looking at what God does. And this is what happens a lot of times in churches. They start doing things and then they just keep doing things because that's what they've always done. We need to be looking at what are we doing and saying, is it useful, is it good, is, is it building God's kingdom? And if it is, keep doing it. If it's not, go do something else. This is very important as you, as you start looking at what is going on. There's churches that have been doing the same thing for 100 years, especially on the East Coast, 200 years. Yeah, they've been doing the same thing for hundreds of years because that's what they've always done. Don't you dare change nothing. <laughs> Don't dare change. You know, this, is, this is what you've got to be doing. If you want to serve God, you've got to do it this way. We don't care that nobody's coming. nobody but three people are coming out anymore, but don't change it. Part two of verse two, make his praise glorious. The praise of God, the, the adoration, the, the, the praise, the, the renown of God, make it glorious, make it splendid. Make it full of splendor. I hope we see God in that way, that he is splendid and he is glorious. If we really did, we wouldn't be able to keep our mouths shut about God. Uh, and this is important. It, uh, one of the pastors I listened to this week said, you know, on, when I was driving home, he said that we treat people the way we believe God treats us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we may say all the right things. We may say I'm forgiven, I'm loved, and, and that God has forgotten my sins. But if we're treating other people without love, without forgiveness, you know, remembering all their sins, we probably don't believe that God sees us that way. And this is where we've got to change our mind to really believe what we're taught in the scriptures. Because it's really important that we get there. And this is why I talk so much about grace and God's love and his kindness. Because I want people to really believe and act upon that belief. When we did the Truth Project, the, the Truth Project's tagline was, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Okay, and it was very complex, but it really is what is true. And God will test us to make sure that we really believe. If we say we believe something, he will test us to see, do we believe it? Do I believe? Do I believe that I'm loved? And if, I, if I'm saying I'm loved, he's going to show something to make me feel like I'm unloved to see, do I truly believe that I'm loved? Do I forgive people? And do I believe that I'm forgiven? He's going to test me to say, Are you do you truly believe that you're forgiven? And then he's going to show us, all right, now you know who you are. Give it to others. And he's guaranteed that if he's teaching you to love people, He's going to put somebody in your path that's pretty hard to love. Just to see, have you learned how to love yet? Have you, is he teaching you about forgiving people? He I'm will, working on it. He will put somebody in your path that needs forgiveness from you. I'm working on it. Lord, I mean, Lord, they go to church. 
different. Yeah. But, but it is something that God will, depending on what your level, and everybody's level that they're going through is hard to them. Now again, you always want to remember that when somebody's going through something, we don't want, oh, that was so simple, you know, how can you, how can you be struggling? Because for them, it's not simple. If they're at a kindergarten level or a preschool level on that learning, we might look at it and say, boy, that's a simple test. But they may do the same thing to us, and that's why I made my example this morning of the sewing machine. You know, it's, yeah, you know, uh, something that is really simple to most ladies who've learned to sew since they were little tiny girls is something that terrifies me. The idea of using a sewing machine terrifies me because I am worried that one day if I was to do it, I'd put the needle right through my thumb. So, to me, it's a terrifying experience. To other people, they go, how can you be terrified about something so simple? And yet, I'll go up to people and witness to them and, and share the gospel with them and stand in front of groups, and other, which other people would be terrified to do. So, we have to be careful of how we judge others and where they're at. Think about what's happened to me in the last three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm right behind you. <laughs> I broke my femur. I had heart failure, and now I can't. Oh, well, no, that I didn't have. Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah. could work for 10 hours a day in the yeah. yard and never feel tired. And now I'm the gardener. Yeah. yeah. Oh. All right, verse 3. Say unto God. How terrible are your works. Through the greatness of your power shall your enemies submit themselves unto you. And this terrible literally is not terrible. It is fearful, dreadful, astonishing, awe-inspiring, okay? And you think about that. How awesome is God's works? When he does things, they bring, bring awe. Now, when he does things to those who don't love him and care for him, they're probably fearful and terrifying as well because they don't know God. All they see are these works. And then we, we look in like Revelation where, where all these judgments upon the earth and, and different times where God has done judgments on the earth, that's terrifying to people who don't know him. But those who, of us who love him and know him, his works are awe-inspiring. It is so fun to work, watch God work. You know, to see him do things, to see him change lives, to see him, when we get out of the way and let him work on our family, sometimes it's kind of scary because we watch God do things that might seem to hurt them, but he's trying to draw them to him. And if we get out of the, out of the way, then he draws them to him. And sometimes it's gentle if they'll respond to gentleness. Sometimes it's smacking them upside the head and saying, are you paying to pay attention? <laughs> Now, I've always been fairly stubborn in my lifetime. God's had to beat me over the head with a two-by-four quite a few times to get my attention. Uh, I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm getting better. I hear him a lot easier now and, and, and switch. I still have a stubborn streak, but he's not having to beat me as long as he's had to in the past. Uh, but it says, how terrible are your works? You know, <laughs> through the greatness of your power, your enemies submit. The enemies will bow down and, and get to his dominion. And sometimes even his followers will, will submit when he's doing that. But God will show his power. One of the greatest things that I have seen in my lifetime is how God has taken people that has abused his children, Christians, and crushed them. It's scary. It's scary. 
It's scary to watch as God defends his children when we get out of the way and let him do it. I've seen people lose businesses. I've seen them lose their health. I've seen them lose, lose their families, you know, and even lose their life if they don't respond. God moves powerfully to defend us when we get out of the way. Now, God is a big gentleman. If we decide, God, I can do this. I can take care of this, these people myself. Or, or God, I can take care of my family, myself. Uh, just you know, let me do it. You know what? He'll stand back and let you do it. You won't do near as good a job as he was going to do. You might even drive them away from what you're wanting them to do. But God's saying, okay, if you want to do it, I'll just let you do it. The more I do, the more I see now, the more I ask for his help. It's easier for me. Before I was stubborn. And it's, uh, it's all so, so wonderful. Back think, off. You know, it is. And if you have grandchildren, nieces, nephews, even your own children, if you're wanting to see them be changed, back off and let God deal with them. You know, is that an easy thing to do? No, it's not hard. It's not easy to do. But at the same time, if you do it, okay, I'll share something. My daughter and granddaughter, you know, very close. Day before yesterday, they talked for two and a half hours. Wow. Good. And it was good. It was no, you know, bickering. No, and they even talked about the thing we want to do is be able to back off from our children and just be in certain instead of trying to guide them and push them into a decision just love them you know same thing I have to do as a pastor if I see somebody kind of walking down the road I'm going to instruct and teach but I'm also going to stay quiet and just pray a lot of times God help them see where they're going to go because if I try to get involved and push and prod number one is probably just going to make them mad you know and a lot of times they know, if we've done any part of our job at all, they know what they're supposed to do. They know how they're supposed to live if we've done our job raising them. They know that they're making bad decisions. The last thing they want to hear from us <laughs> is, you're making lousy decisions. They just want to know that they're loved and that grace covers them. And the more we express that love, the more we let God work in their life, the more we let God get in their life and the more God's going to change them. And then we might be, you know, you might be amazed at what you've tried to do over years. God may do in, in weeks. He might do in months what you've been trying to do for years. Just back off and let God do it. Now, is that easy? No, it's sometimes very hard. Because we love them so much and we want them to avoid the pain and the, and the missteps. But you know, I would love to say that I've learned most of my lessons by watching, listening to others and, and avoiding my mistakes because of what they've taught me. 
But I have learned most of my life lessons the hard way by, by going through the problems. And probably everybody that I meet has learned most of their lessons the hard way. We need to let those that we love fall flat on their face, fall into trouble sometimes, be there ready to help them and, you know, if, if, once they turn and ask for help. But sometimes they have to fall onto their face and be hurt. And we hurt because they got hurt. We hurt because we know they didn't have to go through that hurt. If they would just listened, if they had just gotten in with God. But sometimes that hurt is necessary. And we don't want to see it. We, didn't, we regret that we did it. You know, the greatest testimony that you'll ever hear and from people is, I wish I hadn't gone through something like that. I grew up as a Christian. I didn't get into drugs and alcohol and all these things. And, and I'd hear these people come to church and give their testimonies about how they'd hit the gutter and the bottom and everything was bad and, you know, and how God had changed their life. And you know, when I was younger as a teenager, I'm going, man, this is not fair, God. I don't have a testimony to share to people. When, when I was in my young 20s, I, I talked to one of these guys, and he goes, you don't understand. Any one of us would have traded mm-hmm. our testimony for, for, what testimony. You, for what you have. And that, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that to say, God, thank you. <laughs> you know, I haven't gone through all these things. Does that mean I don't know the impact of those things? No, because I know what sin does to life. Every sin is the same in its bottom, bottom core. It's a temptation that we fall for and that we, that, we, that we fail in and that we need to turn over to God and be crucified in. You know, we make these distinctions between sins and say, this is not too bad, this one's really bad, and this one, if you do this one, you're really at the bottom of the barrel. Okay? God makes no such distinctions. He says, all sin is against him and deserves punishment. So sin to God is sin. Now, is the consequences of each sin the same? No. Consequences for sin can be very much varied, and, but the sin itself is not. Right, verse 4, all the earth shall worship you and shall sing unto you. They shall sing to your name, Selah. I love this. All the earth. Okay, And this literally is not just meaning people, but all the earth worships God. Jesus, when he was told to, you know, tell these people to be silent as they were worshiping him and saying, Hosanna, you know, we're, you know, and, they, and, the, and the scribes and Pharisees says, hey, tell these people to quit this. And he goes, if they be silent, the rocks will shout out. Yeah. Okay. And the earth shall worship. The worship is an interesting word. We use the word worship all the time. But worship has some very interesting definitions. In the Hebrew, it means to bow down and to submit yourself, okay? And it literally means to bow down to, and basically in front of God, it means to hit the ground face first, okay? And in the Hebrew mindset, they had that Asian mentality that, and it's still, and they still in China and in Japan bow to one another. And the thing about their bowing is, the more that person is to be honored, the deeper your bow is to be. So if it's just a friend, you kind of you know, nod your head. If it's your boss, you kind of bow at your middle. And if it's somebody really worth honor, you almost go to the ground because they are so much higher than you. Honor, bowing down, being submitted to God. 
the English definition is to honor and respect, great love and admiration. Okay, in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, it says, the act of paying divine honor to a supreme being or reverence and homage paid to him in religious exercises consisting in adoration, confession, prayer, thanksgiving, and the like. When we honor God and worship God, we worship God in so many ways. Prayer is, can be worshiped with God. Confessing our sins is a worshiping God, admitting that we are sinners. Just admiring him. Do you spend any time just admiring God and praising him? God, you're so good, you're great, you're, you're worthy of all praise. Looking at some of the Psalms and how, God, how David lifted up and exalted God. The idea of just reading through the scriptures is worship. What we're doing right now, going through the scriptures and teaching is worship. Worship is so much more than just standing up in front of them and singing songs to them, which is part of worship. But anything we, we do that lifts God high in our mind is worship. It can simply be meditating on his word. It would be great worship. Building somebody up, edifying them would be great worship. Just loving on somebody with the love of God will be worship. I hope I'm expanding your view of worship to be in more than just that time of singing. You know, this is something I've tried to teach every place I've been. Worship is not, and in churches, we, okay, we're going to worship God, everybody stand up and sing songs. That irritates me because it's so much more than just singing songs to God. It is how we live that exalts God is worship. And God says, in this song, all the earth will worship God. All the earth exalts God. When we look at the glory, the glory of creation, and we look around and we look and say, you know, how beautiful creation is. Mm -hmm. And I love looking around. I love the desert. The desert is so beautiful and shows God's handiwork so clearly. I love the desert. I love the green and everything, but when you remove all these plants and you see just the beauty of the land, yeah, but don't it's you amazing. These crazy old thorny bushes could be so green with no water. That's true, too. That's true, too. I try to count all the quill in my yard and I lose count because they just become. And they come and go and move around. Rabbits. I had six little baby rabbits. I think they're so cute. To deer all the time. And she, she's crying now. Verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible or awesome in his doings toward the children of men. It is amazing that God created man in the first place, knowing that we were going to fall, knowing that he was going to have to redeem us. But even like he says here, it is awesome in what he does for man. 
how much he loves people. He sent his son to die for us. He doesn't give us what we did. You know, and even not just us, he doesn't show mercy on us that are followers of him and Christians. He shows mercy on everybody. everybody. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, he would destroy them instantly because that's what they deserve. You know, when we think about how much love and how much care he gives to the world, to the it's whole sad. world, and that he's going to be rejected by the majority of the world. Yeah. And the thing that's, and I've said this over and over, the thing that scares the daylights out of me is where Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And list off a whole bunch of religious works. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's scary. That should make every one of us really look at our life and say, do I know Jesus? Am I in a personal relationship with him? And if the answer is you don't know, you get, need to get to know. You need to know that you do know. Because once you know that you know, you're not going to ever doubt it because you're going to know that I spend my time with God. I know that I have a relationship with God. I know his voice when I hear it. And just like I said this morning in the old days when we had to did before a caller ID, when you heard somebody's voice, the more you knew that person, the more you knew their voice. Do we know God's voice? Have we spent time in his word? Do we know his voice? When he speaks, am I always questioning or do I know that I'm hearing his voice? Do I know his instructions? If you're being instructed at something that's against the Bible, you're not hearing God's voice. Mm-hmm. And I've shared this with many people, especially young girls over the, you know, in, in counseling over the years, and they'll go, well, I have this boyfriend, he's not saved, but I think we're supposed to get married. And I'm going, well, you're not hearing God's voice. Well, I really think I am. I go, no, God says don't be unequally yoked. So if you're hearing anything other than no, you're being lied to, and you're not hearing the right voice. This is something, there's certain things we know that we know are not God's will. Getting unequally yoked you know, is something that we should not be doing because God says don't do it. Committing sins, certain sins, we know that God's not telling us to do that. Well, I really think God's telling me to sleep around with everybody because that's, that's what... No, God's not telling you that. <laughs> you know, there's no way God's telling you that. I don't, you know, I don't know whose voice you're listening to, but that's not God's voice. Uh, that's the devil. You know, so... Better is this. <laughs> desire of the flesh is, flesh is desire. I, I didn't hear that statement, Huh? Oh, she's pointing to the flesh, the, the body desires. Now, verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. They did, there did we rejoice in him. And this is the clear reference to what two events? When Moses led them through the Red Sea. And does anybody know the second event that this is referring to? No, the Jordan River as they entered into the as they entered into the Promised Land. God, God split the Jordan River, which was at flood stage, and they walked across. So two times, the children of Israel walked across rivers or seas on dry land, and this is that. This is that, and this is the referring to most likely the Red Sea, but I think he also is including the Jordan River in, in this as well. And because there was rejoicing on both occasions. Uh, in Exodus, we read about the, the praise song that Miriam and the ladies spoke and the song of Moses in, in, in praise. 
and then there was the praise as they entered in, finally, after 40 years, <laughs> entered into the promised land. And so he's referring back to it. Well, they had to con they had to kick out the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Zebazites, the Zeb Zebunites, the the Hittites, the Hivites, <laughs> all those other nations that they had to chase out of the you know kill out of the land. So they took them many years and, and they didn't finish it, huh? Yeah. Well, God God told them. I know they had to do something. Yeah, they had to get rid of the people that were dwelling in there because the people that had been dwelling in there, we covered this in, in Leviticus and Numbers and stuff, the people that were living there were so sinful and so rejecting of God, after 430 years of having an opportunity to ch change, God said, kill all of them. Yeah, because they had their own idols and they weren't believing God. Well, they had idols. Their sin was so bad that they had polluted their bodies even because of idolatry worship which all involved uh, orgies and sex and and their sexual sins were so perverted that they had they had diseases in their body that were just so extreme that God says you're going to kill all of them because you you need to be pure and so they were killed so they needed to be pure verse 7 he rules by his power forever his eyes behold the nations Yet not the rebellious, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. God rules. People in the world do not realize that God rules, but in spite of their denial of his rule, he rules. Okay? We need to always remember that God is in charge. And this is why I said this morning. He will never say, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't expect that. Uh, I don't know how they got away with that. Those are not in his vocabulary. He is watching everything, and he will only allow what he allows and nothing more. Now, the th hard thing for us is we go, God, how can you allow such things? Especially when you know he knows before we do. Yeah. I mean, the book of Job gives us a great view of what goes on in heaven. Satan shows up in heaven, and God says, what have you, what have you been doing? He goes, I've been going around looking around the world. And, and what did God do? Job, Satan didn't go, can I test Job? You know, now, we know he wanted to, but God initiated that conversation. Have you considered my servant Job? You know, well, of course I have, but you're, you've got him so protected, I can't do anything. And God let him do things and put parameters on what he could and could not do. We need to understand that even when things seem to be really bad for us, God has parameters of what Satan can do to us. This is something that's important for us to understand. My favorite verse for going through things is Romans 8.28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Now, will I tell anybody that verse when they're going through hard times? Absolutely not. You know, because all they're going to go is say, you don't understand, you don't know. I tell myself all the time when I'm going through hard times, all things work together for good. I want you to notice something that I've brought out many times. It doesn't say all things work together for your good. It's all things work together for good. 
So what's happening to me may not be for my good, but God will make good happen from it. And that may mean I, it's used for me to be able to talk to somebody else in the future. It may be that God's using it for somebody to look at me, look at how I'm walking through a situation and see me worshiping God and staying firm with God and saying, well, if he can do it, can I? I can do it. Okay? And I'm not going through anything compared to what I just saw this person go through. And one of the examples I have used with, with you all is I suffer from gout pretty bad, and there was a time when I was on crutches for almost six, six months mm -hmm. because of my gout. I went to church every day. I still did my Sunday school you know, rounds. I, I taught on when I mean, I did everything I normally did, and it was obvious that I was in pain every step I took. You're almost like Job. Was Very much like Job at that time. Yeah. But about a year, year and a half after I'd gotten done with this, this, one person came up to me and said, I just want to let you know that you really inspired me with, because it was obvious you were in pain, and yet you would not stop serving God. Now, was all that pain good for me? Absolutely not. I could have done without that pain. It, it didn't do anything good for me except to say, God, I'm not giving up. I'm still doing what you've asked me to do. Was it good for the person who watched me go through it? Yes. Yeah because they were inspired. We do not know what people are seeing when they look at us go through something and we stay faithful to God. We don't know what that may mean to the lost person who says, how can that person be going through so much trouble and still go to church and still seem to have a smile on their face and still trust in that crazy God that's letting them have this trouble? You know. I've watched them, they've got, they've got something that I want, and they're going through something that is breaking their hearts, and they're going, I want to talk to that Christian and find out what it is they have. We do not know what good will come out of whatever we're going through. So we need to be careful when we judge what we're going through and say, this is terrible. This is terrible because I don't see how this could be for my good. Well, God never promised it would be for our good. He promised it would be for good. Okay, and I hope you understand that distinction because sometimes it's for others to watch us go through hardship and say they were faithful with God. And you know what? It might just be for the heavenlies. When Satan goes up back before God and says, well, you, didn't, you weren't able to break them, were you? In front of all the angels rejoicing and saying, I knew they weren't going to fall. You, you, know, you, could, you can't take my servant down. Very important for us to understand. We go through things in this verse. If we get the, if we get to the end, it has that same mentality at the end of this book, at the end of this chapter. But God rules, no matter what. He rules, and He says, "Don't let the rebellious get exalted." Have you ever met somebody who's exalting in their sin, and because they haven't been judged yet, they're going, "I'm getting away with it." Yes. <laughs> Me. Yeah, I was gonna say sometimes even us maybe. Yes. You want to talk about stupidity? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do it, but we don't have enough time here. But. God says, don't exalt it. Don't exalt in your sin. Don't, don't be praising, praising how you're being rebellious. Well, that's how the devil himself, or whoever was on his side, convinced me everything was okay. Uh -huh. I wasn't getting better, so it must be all right. And God does that a lot with the lost world. And we as Christians shouldn't fall into that, but the lost world falls into that all the time. Well, I've been stealing. I haven't been caught yet. You know, I've been, I've been doing it for 15 years. Nobody's got me, you know, it hasn't got me in trouble. Well, maybe the 16th year will be different. <laughs> I had a young man tell me a couple of Sundays ago that he had Saturdays 
that if I had faith, all I could have to do was ask. And I said, you know, sometimes sickness is laid on us as a punishment. And you're going to get punished. Done in a crime, you're going to see if you do the crime. If you can't do it this way, there's going to be another way. I just see what they're going to do. And I know what the crime is. And you never know. I mean, it's very, very presumptuous to say that somebody is sick because of something that they're being punished for and that you could be healthy. Uh, and this is the name it and claim it. You know, if, you just, if you're sick, then you just don't have enough faith. If you don't have money, you don't have enough faith. God never promised us that everything was going to be great. Matter of fact, he said, they hated me. They're going to hate you. And there's going to be trouble. Okay. And... This is the sad thing about the name and claimants. Number one, most of them don't know God. If they did, they wouldn't be even beginning to go that direction. But it is critical because they're saying that anybody who's not healthy, wealthy, and wise is sinning somehow and doesn't have enough faith in God. And that is such a sad place to be in because it's so untrue. It's such a lie from Satan. It destroys so many people that think, well, I really believe in God, and I'm not. I'm, I've got sicknesses. How can how can this be? And I drift away from God. To me, I'm just the opposite. The more trials I go for, go through, the stronger I'm getting to God, and I I love it really. And I do too. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to get so, to the place where I'm we're kind of being a sadistic or masochistic about it, but yeah. uh, but I'm just saying, know. little ones, you know, I yeah. know it's this trial to see how much I really do have faith and I do have faith and I can guarantee that most Christians couldn't handle wealth anyway because if they got wealthy they would forget God and he said you know uh, don't you know don't give me uh, Proverbs said don't give me wealth because I might forget you but don't give me poverty so that I will steal (laughs) okay we want someplace in between enough money that we're surviving now if we know and God knew that we would be very generous and and continue to serve him he would probably give us wealth some of the richest men in this country that built great big businesses sears and roebuck jc penny gave god 90 percent of everything they had and lived on 10 percent okay they were trusted with lots of money you know they were millionaires in their own right which meant they gave away nine million plus (laughs) okay to, to God. Can God trust you with that kind of money? If he can, then maybe maybe you would get it. Most of us probably wouldn't. And it is said statistically that the, that the poor give tithes. The more wealthy you are, the less likely you are to tithe your income. And I understand the principle. At first, when I first heard that, I didn't understand it. When I got to the day when I was making a little more money, I started to understand. When I was poor, my, my tithe was 30 bucks, <laughs> you know, 40 bucks, you know, in the month, in the, in the whole month, it was maybe $2,000. If you're making 100,000, you know, let's, let's make it easy to do the math. You're making 120,000 a year, that's 10,000 a month. Your tithe, your tithe is $1,000 a month. What can you spend $1,000? And what can $1,000 buy? You know, when you're a poor person and your and your tithe is a hundred dollars, yeah, you can use a hundred dollars. But let's say you're really poor and your tithe is only thirty dollars a month. 
It's like, God, here's my $30. I can't really, I can't even buy food for this. Here, you take it and, and give me back my reward, you know. But when it's like, God, wow, you want $10,000, God? Uh, God, you know, I can, I can buy, I can pay the house. I can, you know, you know, I can do a lot with this. And God, and that is why most people will not be given income because they wouldn't be willing to serve God correctly with that income. You know, and so this is very important for us to look at. Verse 8, Oh, bless our God, you people, and make the voice of his praise be heard, which holds our soul in life and suffers not our feet to be moved. I love this. Praise God. Bless God. Let his, let his praise be heard. He holds our soul. He holds our life. He, he doesn't let it, he doesn't suffer us. He is in control. Nothing happens that he doesn't know about. Nothing, and as I said this morning, we're not, you know, when it's time for us to die, he's going to take us home. If it's time for us to live, we're going to live. Even if we tried to kill ourselves and God says, no, it's not time to, to die, it's not going to work. Okay? And that doesn't say go on and try to kill yourself because you might just find that it is your time to die. Okay? Yeah. So, but he says, lift up his praise. Lift it up. Make it be heard. Just walking with him will lift it up. Am I wrong in believing that everything that's I've been going through is for a purpose? Yes, yes. it's always for a purpose. Uh, <laughs> I have hope of what it's for. The unfortunate thing is we don't we don't always know what it's for and it's not necessarily for us to know what it's for. I know, but it could be for someone else. This is for that is true. It could be for somebody else that's you know, watching how watching how it's for your neighbor or you're, you're hoping it's for your kids probably. <laughs> Family. And uh, somebody can learn from it. Yeah. You know, and I it don't bother me. I yeah. mean, I'm not sad that it happened. Yeah. Can I say We never know what people will see, you know, and that's why I give the, the story about my gout attack. Not that I want to say this, look at me and how important yeah. it is, but, but just how God used something that makes no sense to me and yet used it to minister to some, at least one person, if not more. You know, the only one person has ever said anything, but it might have been many more that were encouraged by that. We never know. I can tell you right now, when I was working in the business world, in the restaurants, and stress, and everything was going on, more than once people come up, how can you still be happy and smiley after all of this crazy, you know, and it opened up a great opportunity to say, talk about God. I was the boss. I couldn't just talk about God, but they opened a door that said, why? Here's why. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to say so much, you know, let you want to get the window. Uh, well, it's just like yeah. me, like since 
I've been coming to the Bible study. How all of these things that I told you that happened to me. The lady lost her ring. Yeah. I found her ring. My finger got healed. Just a lot of things that really that I have to praise about. And I mm -hmm. tell people that I don't even know. Yeah. And to me that, especially that ring, I think. Yeah. Okay, to go with her ring, because I never thought about that. They just told me that within four months if something's not done, I could be blind in this left eye. And furthermore, he said, I can see what it is, but I have no clue why it's doing that to me. I mm. don't know. And he gave me some steroids, and he gave me because of the pressure, I glaucoma. And the pressure had doubled in three months in this eye. It went from not serious to very serious. He told me it can't go down or it can't come up that fast. <laughs> I went back one week to the day later and my pressures were not, they were 36 or 38. And I went back a week later and he said, her pressure's 20. <laughs> I said, so what's that about? Not had at most seven, eight. Just tells you doctors don't know everything. Yeah, and always for a reason. God does nothing for for no reason. And like I said, it, the, the, if for no other reason, it might be just so that he can celebrate in front of the angels that you were victorious and Satan didn't win a victory. Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that a even if that was all it was? Isn't that a great thing? The, the yeah. angels have seen you be victorious in Christ, with Christ's help and not fall. And now, like, see, and even if there was no other reason. <laughs> That's the praise in heaven. Satan was defeated in his temptation of you, and, and all of heaven gets to rejoice at your getting, passing the test. It's like I would never talk about God and about his glory, and now I do, and I'm so happy to, to tell a story to people and some people. Yep. And when I get done, and I know a lot of them, they really, you know, they, they really believe it. Really like yep. it. Don't you think sometimes, though, that God... And I talk a lot, and I tell stuff like that, but I don't see many people because I'm trying to live them conclusively. You, you're probably telling more. You're telling more people than most Christians do, unfortunately. But she sees. I like today. She's got a different situation than you do. Yeah, but, but God gives her the story like a dream. Mm -hmm. Because how many people will hear it from her? Yeah. And then you're not getting the glory for telling it. God's getting the glory, and you're saying to it, He does. But then, like today, like I haven't had anybody for the last two weeks. I haven't seen anybody since I haven't been in shop. But this day was really good, too. Good. Right, verse, verse 10. For you, O God, have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried. And this, this idea that God has proved us, we've been talking a lot about that. He has tested us. He has put us under scrutiny, under, under examination. Then it says, he has tried us as silver is tried. How is silver tried? It's put under fire and it's melted and it's put into a liquid form and it's, 
and it's heated up until the till all the impurities go to the top and they scrape the top off and they heat it a little more and the impurities come to the top and he scrapes them off. Are things hot in your life? God is working on taking impurities out of it. He's going to keep working the impurities out of us. The, like the, working impurities out of me right now. <laughs> the equivalent for, the equivalent verse that I like in, in, the, in the New Testament is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You know, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. God will crucify our flesh. It doesn't, we don't sit there and say, God, thank you for beating up and killing my flesh. It hurts. Okay, having our flesh crucified hurts. And the more we struggle against it, the more it hurts. Yeah, to see, to try, test us say, where, where do I stand? But he's doing that all of our life. Yeah. Why do we just see it when we're old? We're well, for two reasons. Number one, <laughs> that is exactly what I was going to say. Because you are more developed in Christ, you are more experienced in Christ, your tests have to be harder. Your tests have to be. And remember, this is what I've said. When you're new in Christ, and you're in preschool, you're going to get a preschool test. You know, can you stand up? Oh, great, you stood up. You know, you get somebody that's a teenager, you stood up, big deal. Right. You know, did you, did you stand up to the wind trying to blow you over? Oh, good, you know, you're doing better. You know, you get the point on this, you know. You know, the, the, when you're first learning to walk, the idea of just standing is a big deal. We applaud our toddler that stands up. Oh, good job, you're doing great. We don't applaud our eight-year-old because he stood up. Uh -huh. now, and if he's looking at us saying, well, why didn't you say good job? Because I stood up. Well, because you can walk, you can run, you can play sports. You know, it's no big deal that you stood up. So yes, as we grow in Christ, we grow in God, we get older, we're, our tests are going to be much harder because our experience with God demands a test to say, do I truly believe? Well, I've been able to stand up for 30 years, God, so stand, just standing up is not, you know, when I fall down and get back up, big deal. It's what I've been able to do for years. But when, I, when you're first starting and you fall down and stand up, God applauds it and he makes sure there's plenty of people saying you did a good job. But the test, the test is going to get stronger. The test is going to get harder as we grow. You know, nobody, nobody, no new Christian is going to have a Job experience where God takes away all their possessions and all their family and, and their health because it would crush them and they would say, who wants this God? I mean, I, I, I trusted this God and he's, you know, he's going to take me to heaven and look what the first thing he did to me was destroy, you know, allow me to be crushed. God's going to say, get to know me. Get to know my faithfulness. Get to know my integrity. Get to know my love for you. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, now we'll let, this, we'll let some hardships come into your life and say, do you still trust him? Do you still have the heart? Do you still have the heart to follow him? So yes, the more we know him, the harder the test is going to be. The more we get into the word and study him and get to know him, the harder the test will be. Does you know? he know what 
I always believed in God, but then I stepped back for a long time, and now I'm back more focused. But I had this blank spot for a while, you know. And he knows that. Mm -hmm. And he knew it. Um, and it may be that you yeah. failed to test the drug that, that, that put you into that and you just didn't rebound back. And the key to this is when we truly understand who God is, when we fall, we stand up, we repent, and God puts us right back where we left. The unfortunate thing is before we really understand that, sometimes we fall down and we wallow around in the mud because we just don't believe God is going to forgive us. And we have a blank spot, like you say, where I just, you know, I'm in a pity party, I'm in a pity party, and, uh, you know, God didn't do for me what I expected or whatever, and, and God says, hey, patiently waiting for this, sending the little people in there to tell us, help us get back. And all of a sudden, we stand back up. I say, wow, what, what did I wallow around in the mud for so long for? But if you stand back, you're a lot stronger. You've learned, you've learned, you hopefully have learned, and you've got a stronger place. And the next time you fall down, you get back up quicker. Okay? And then that's also the importance of fellowship with other believers, that when you fall down, there's believers saying, hey, we've missed you. You know, how are you doing? Can we do anything for you? Uh, this is critical. And this is why I share with the church, if you see somebody missing, call them. Just say, hey, we've missed you. Is there, you know, just wanted to let you know you've been loved. Because Satan will use the lack of communication with people as a reason to say, you know, just, you know, nobody cares for you. Nobody loves you. God's abandoned you. All those, all those people who said they loved you have abandoned you. And Satan will use that against you. So I would just encourage you. You know different people. You know, and one of my things that I have learned, when God puts somebody on my mind... Write them a letter, give them a call, stop by and see them, depending on what your relationship with is with them. Or at the very least, say a prayer for them. But you know how many times I've called somebody just because their, their, their name came to my mind in the middle of something? And usually it's, I really needed that, thank you. you know, I really needed just to hear somebody say that you know, God loves me and just know that I'm loved. It's very valuable. And it may not be long. Maybe just a card, you know. I love, one thing really good about a card with a little note in it is usually people put the card on a, on a table and they get to reread the card later on. The card will usually come in when they need it. But they'll also quite often pick it up just when they needed it and didn't realize because they hadn't read it in so long and go, wow, <laughs> just what I needed. Cards are wonderful. They're a very valuable tool. Phone calls are great, too. That personal touch is great. But God is going to test us. He's going to turn the fire up on us. And as correctly said, the more, the more experience we are with him, the older we are with him, the more we know about him, the, harder, the hotter and harder the test will be. And the thing about God when he tests us, it's not like the school system that says, well, you flunked the test, but we've got 20 other students that have to go forward, so you just have to catch up if you can. God says, okay, you get to keep doing this test until you pass it. <laughs> Have you ever been in a test that you've retaken and retaken and retaken and retaken? I've showed you that. I spent six years taking the same test before I finally got smart enough to say, God, I give up. Okay. God needs us to surrender. Otherwise, we will keep doing the same mistake over and over again, and he wants to teach us wants to teach us how to get through it. And if you're having a difficult place in your life, 
go, God, how do I get through this? How do I pass this test? Especially if it's been a long-term problem, say, God, how do I get past this test? And then listen to him. I have a problem. People say, well, you got to forgive yourself. I have a problem. I don't understand completely. How do you forgive yourself? Believe that God has forgiven you? Well, I know that. That's no, I didn't say no, and I said believe it. Well, I, 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 I know, but I, I think I don't have the right to do that. Sure you do, because you know that you're forgiven. Because, uh, you know. If you can't forgive yourself, you really truly don't believe that God's forgiven you and that you somehow you need to punish yourself for it. And that's a bad place to be in. If you believe that you deserve everything that you're getting, so you are punishing yourself. And this is why mercy and grace are so important. God wants us to realize, number one, he has justified us. He has declared us perfect. We need to get to the place where we can say, God, I accept who you say that I am. But that's all amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. But I'm going to say, the more you learn to forgive yourself and accept who God, what God says about you, the more forgiving you're going to be to others. And the more you, want to, you don't want to do what And the more you don't want to hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of people go, well, if you think you're perfect at forgiving, you're, going to, you're just going to go out there and do more bad. No, it no. doesn't work that way. It does not work that way because you know that you don't want to hurt him and make him have to forgive you. So again. You, you ha again and again. <laughs> and, but again. the most important thing about learning to really forgive yourself is it allows you to be able to forgive others. And I can almost guarantee, and I've seen it over and over, when somebody can't forgive themselves, they have a lot of trouble forgiving other people. They really do. So, but God forgives us, and we really need to learn to be able to say, God, okay, I'm over it. I'm, you know, he's already paid the price for our sin. When Jesus went to the cross, we talked this morning how the sin brought physical death, spiritual death, the curse, sicknesses, disease, everything bad. Jesus went to the cross to pay for sin, sicknesses, the curse, everything that the fall brought, Jesus paid for. All the sicknesses, all the, all the colds, all the, the flus, all the, the sexually transmitted diseases, all the psychological diseases because of the sin, he paid for on the cross. We don't have to sit there and say, I got to pay for, I deserve whatever I'm getting because of my sin. Yes, we deserve it. On the one sense, yes, we deserve it. But at the same side, it's been paid for. And the more we rest in that victory, the better off we're going to be. And I think the other thing too is uh, since we know it, is stop doing it again. And stop doing it, yep. Yeah. We're going to have to stop here. Nine verses, but it's after six, so we're going to stop at verse 10. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us, that you care for us. Lord, you do test and try us, but you do it because you love us. You do it to show us what we believe. You do it to help us to trust you more. Lord, we ask that you go with us and, and help us to be your witnesses. Teach us to be crucified to our flesh and to be just resting in faith, rest in you. Lord, that when, when hard things come to, against us, that we just 
go into the shelter of your fortress and let you be the one that, that covers us and protects us. And we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.